just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope all is going well with you. We're headed into a weekend. Hopefully things will settle down around you at least for a couple of days until we have to start it back up again on Monday. But of course we have a war raging in Ukraine. Russia is invading Ukraine. They're charging through the country. They're firing off missiles, bombs, tanks, all kinds of things. It's a real and legitimate war. They've now pretty much encircled Kiev, which is the capital of Ukraine, and the intent is to take down the government and replace it with some puppet uh, government that would be accommodating to Vladimir Putin and the Russians. They haven't done that yet. This has been going on about a night and a half where they're around Kiev and there's fighting and such, but they haven't gotten to the capital and they haven't taken the government down as yet. Now, we're going to talk more about that later, but um, one of the things I wanted to bring up was that uh, Republicans are quickly finding out they've got a serious problem. You see, Donald Trump said that Putin was a genius, and it was a wonderful idea to invade Ukraine. And at first, many of the trump and some of the Republican politicians and the right-wing media were agreeing with him. But as things become more real and there's blood in the streets and bodies on the sidewalk and things like that, the Republicans are finally realizing, oh, this isn't a good thing to be for. This is going to go badly for us. This is a gift to the Democratic Party and a nightmare for the Republican Party. Remember, we have a midterm election coming up in November. And when you have this election, you can bet the Democrats are going to be talking about the fact that Republicans, all of them, supported Vladimir Putin after he caused this unnecessary, unprovoked, bloody war. That's not the side you want to be on. And that's not going to look good during the election. Now, the problem is Donald Trump won't shut up about it. He keeps talking about how smart Vladimir Putin is and how this is a good idea and how they're doing this and that. He's real excited about it. But it's funny, the right-wing media, the politicians, they're kind of backing away from it. It's like they had no foresight. They didn't see this coming. But what's going to be left in the Ukraine after this war is going to be tragic. And it's not just going to be Ukrainian uh, soldiers. There's going to be a lot of uh, Republican, that's a Freudian split, uh, uh, Freudian slip. Man, must be late. It is. Um, But but, uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, Russian bodies, too. In fact, I'd heard that there was as many as a thousand Russian soldiers killed in this battle. So anyways, they know this isn't going to play well for 2022, and now they're trying to pull back from it, but that's going to be hard to do. And yesterday I was talking about um, Democrats and how bad they are at messaging. Now, the Republicans are real good at it. You know how Trump will give people nicknames and it'll stick to them, or the Republicans will make little phrases that will stick to the Democrats. 
phrases is even as dumb as let's go, Brandon. I mean, that's fucking ridiculous. But given Republicans know this is a bad scenario, this connection to Vladimir Putin and this war, I was thinking to myself, what we really need to do, what Democrats need to do, is stick this on them and make it stick till 2022. Because this is the last thing they want to do. They won't, don't want to be seen as supporting a bloody war, a takeover, a war crime. Because that's what this is. So we need to stick them with it. You know, and I was thinking about it. I said, well, you could say a vote for Republicans is a vote for Putin. Now, that pretty much says it all. And uh, we'll identify Republicans as uh, cozying up to Vladimir Putin and the Russians. Now, that might play well for some folks, but most folks are going to have trouble with that. And I always thought that uh, a vote for Republicans is a vote for Putin. That was kind of long. That wasn't going to be the go-to tagline that we need. So I put it out to my listeners and said, hey, if you can come up with something better, please send it in. Let's look at it. And then when we find the right one, let's run the hell out of it. Hashtag put it everywhere and see if we can't get it to go viral and cause these Republicans some problems. Well, I got a couple of suggestions. Uh, Denise wrote me, and she came up with a good one, actually. But as I look at it, I'm having a little trouble with it. Uh, But it's basically Geo-Putin. So it looks like G-O-P in capital letters, and the P makes it into Putin. It could be vote out the Geo-Putin. Putin or GOP, comrades, not patriots. Now, I like that it's short. I like that it kind of says what we're trying to say, but it might be confusing. Because if you just look at it like I'm looking at it right now, it could be, go Putin. (laughs) We don't want to do that. Denise, I think you're on the right track, but I don't think that's it. Keep keep coming back to me with stuff because I can't get it either. Then Eddie came in and he said, hashtag voting Republican is voting Putin, which is a variant to what I said. Okay, and that's fine. But again, we're talking about something that's too long. We need something quick and clever, something that we can hashtag all over the fucking place. Eddie, you're on the same track with me. We just got to figure a way to make it more clever and shorter. Then I got this from Jason. Jason started, uh, he said, he started listening relatively recently and have been enjoying the show. My idea may not have the flashy appeal of some my kids might have come up with. I'm creeping, creeping up on my 50th here. Oh, my goodness. I'm 61 creeping up on my 62nd. So don't expect sympathy. But it will stick and be unmistakable. Let's turn the clock back on them to the 80s in the old days with the Soviets and start calling them all comrade. Comrade Trump, Comrade DeSantis, Comrade Cruz, the lot of them. After all, they're Republicans, so let's paint them fucking red. Yeah, I like that, actually. I like that. Will the millennials understand what we're saying? That's the only thing I'm concerned about. You know, for us older folks, when you hear the term comrade, you think Russian. And uh, we heard it plenty of times back in the day. Will the millennials get it? I don't know. But I like something else you said uh, Said here. After all, they are Republicans, so let's paint them red. That's an interesting angle. You've got uh, 
the communists or Russians, and I know they're not technically communist anymore, but basically the same shit. They identify with the color red, and so do the Republicans. How about better off dead than red? Now, that's a little harsh and probably won't work, but maybe we play off of that red color since they both are tied to it. I don't know. I appreciate the folks that send some things in and give us some things to brainstorm. I don't think any of us have hit it as yet. So what we want to do, we want to attach Vladimir Putin to the Republicans and make it stick. Since they like so much about what he's doing with this uh, unprovoked war, this premeditated war against a perfectly innocent and a perfectly peaceful country, We need to stick that to the Republicans, and we just have to figure out a way to do it. All these folks came up with some great ideas, but it's not the idea. I'm not trying to put you down. I don't have the idea either. We need to bounce around some things until we find the right thing. So if you have some thoughts, email me at rationalboomer at gmail.com, and we'll take a look at it. We'll go through it and see if it works. And I'll guarantee you, with all our heads put together, we'll come up with something. And then we got to make that shit go viral. Stick it to them and stick it to them good. I got a, another email from a woman by the name of Jennifer. She says, can you clarify whether Trump could actually run for president with a felony charge? Everything I read says yes. I assume if he gets convicted of the Public Records Act, I assume then he can't. But otherwise, it seems like he could. That scares me. Thanks, and thanks for all you do, Jennifer. Well, here's the deal. There is no limitations or exclusions for anybody that has a felony to run for president. And the reason for that is, is if you look at the Constitution and all the requirements to become president, it doesn't make any mention to having a felony or not having a felony. You have to be 35 years old. You have to be a natural citizen and, you know, all the other things. But it doesn't say you can't be president with a felony charge or conviction. Now, don't worry about that too much. I mean, the fact of the matter is, with or without a felony, I don't see Donald Trump running in 2024. It's just he's not going to be in a position to do it. And the Republicans certainly aren't going to want to hook their wagon to him by 2024. Even if there are some convictions, there's going to be a lot of things exposed. Donald Trump is going to be tied up in either court cases or potentially jail or house arrest or whatever the fuck it's going to be. But Donald Trump's going to have far bigger problems than trying to figure out how to run for president. His uh, financial situation is going to change dramatically. We've got his uh, company under indictment. Your CFO under indictment. We've got the IRS. We've got uh, a lot of people looking at his business. All his businesses are failing, and he's got all kinds of trouble. He's got a lot of debt coming due. So while he could technically run for president with a felony, he's not going to run. There's no way he's going to run. And you're correct. If he does get charged with this Presidential Records Act thing, there is a stipulation in that law that if you are convicted of that, then you cannot run for president, in fact, or any other elected uh, position. 
Uh, in fact, if you are in an elected position, when you are convicted of such a thing, you have to leave immediately. And to be perfectly honest, that public records thing seems like more of a slam dunk. It's a relatively minor charge compared to some of the other things. The evidence is all right there in front of us. It would be an easy thing for the DOJ to charge and convict on because it's one or two years prison terms potentially and fines. Now, he's got a lot of um, instances of where he's committed this crime, so he could be convicted multiple times for it and be put in jail for a long time and get a serious fine. I've always questioned whether they'll put a president in jail or in prison. I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, you think about it. They've got to protect this guy. So if you're going to put him in prison, you've got to put the Secret Service in prison, too. You've got to have somebody protecting him. Now, I've often said, if he does have to go to prison, you don't want to put the Secret Service in there. So what I'm thinking is the Secret Service uh, subcontracts it out to the white supremacist in jail. (laughs) I'm sure they'd love to take care of Donald Trump, among other things. But, yes, he could run for president with a felony charge, save the Presidential Records Act charge. That would be a different situation. But, Jennifer, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He's not going to run in 2024. I guarantee you he's not. And even if he did, prior to all this stuff coming out, he still lost by 7 million votes. He's not going to win another presidential election. It's just not going to happen. All right, let's get down to the business at hand. And before we do that, I just want to mention something about this Ukraine war. Um, I saw something on a video. I believe I saw it on TikTok. (laughs) And as scary and as sad as it is, it kind of made me smile. Because in this video, it showed an older Ukrainian woman, maybe even elderly, uh, walking down the streets of Kiev. And this woman had to be the most gangster human I've ever seen. This old woman walks up to a Russian soldier, and she's cussing him out. Why are you in my land? Why do you have these guns? She's not afraid at all, and she's tearing into this guy. And then apparently she pulls this little package out of her pocket and is trying to give it to this soldier. He says, what is that? He says, this is a pack of sunflower seeds. I want you to put it in your pocket. When you're dead and buried, I want something good to come out of you for fucking once. (laughs) That takes courage. And that's actually a good line. That old lady was gangster. We should put her in the uh, Rational Boomer group because she's just our kind of gal. I hope she stays safe. And I hope they rectify this whole Ukraine war here pretty quickly because people are dying. On both sides. And here's the thing. I'm not cheering about Russian soldiers dying. I'm hearing some stories about that too. Here we've got some young men and women fighting for Russia, being sent into Ukraine, a country that they've looked at as kind of a brother state. They're friends. They have family members on either side of the border. These people don't want to go into, the, the, the soldiers don't want to go into the Ukraine and fight against these people. They've got no quarrel with those people, as as Muhammad Ali once said about the Vietnamese. Um this is a tough position to put these young men and women in. 
They don't want to be there. They don't have any malice toward the people of Ukraine, not to mention they're risking their lives on top of it. You got to give Ukraine a lot of credit because they apparently have a lot of courage. Russia is far and away a superior fighting force than Ukraine. But I think Russia underestimated them. I think that... uh, I think that they uh, thought they could just walk in and, and people would uh, open the streets and they'd just take over. But that's not what's happening. That's not at all what's happening here. We've got uh, the Ukraine being angry about this. And you got to remember, Ukraine does have about 200,000 soldiers. 200,000 soldiers in Ukraine. Ukraine's not a tiny country. 42 million people live there, 3 million people live in Kiev, and they love their country, and they're fighting. Now, as I said, the Russian army is around the Kiev capital, the capital building, ultimately with plans of taking down the government and replacing them with some Russian stooge. Now, everything I've heard, it sounds like President Zelensky is looking at... uh, one of the first things they want to do is either jail Zelensky or kill him. And knowing the Russians, I'm assuming it's going to kill him. And I was thinking to myself, well, get out of that fucking country, man. Go, go, go. But he didn't. But I think he was pretty smart in what he did, and he shows his love for Ukraine. I don't know if he's a good president. I don't know if most people like him. But you find a lot about people, find out a lot about people when they're in these kinds of situations. So what Zelensky has done, he got got out of the capital. I mean, let's be perfectly honest. The last place you want to be is just sitting there waiting for the Russian troops to come in and do whatever they want. So Zelensky put on some military gear and hit the street, grabbed a gun and hit the street, and is going to find, fight alongside the rest of the Russian soldiers. It's still a dangerous situation to put a president of Ukraine in, but it's probably safer than letting him wait in the capital for the Russians to come. At least now he has a chance. At least now he can be part of the effort to push these people back. And it's funny. The officials in Ukraine really believe they'll be able to hold off the Russians from taking over Kiev and the Capitol building and taking down the government. My wildest dreams, I don't know how they can believe that. I don't know how they think they can pull that off because the Russian army is going to be overwhelming. They will overwhelm uh, Ukraine. So the president of Ukraine, got himself a weapon, took to the streets, fighting alongside Ukraine soldiers. And again, it's probably the safest place for him, uh, save for getting the fuck out of the country. I give him credit. He's staying there, and he's fighting instead of waiting for the inevitable. Um, the other thing Ukraine is promoting is civilians getting into the act. Yeah, they are. They are... Um, telling people that they want to keep everybody from 18 to 60 in the country, men, 18 to 60, and anybody who wants a gun, they'll get it for them. They'll get a a, um, a war-level or army-level weapon 
that they can take to the streets and help with the fight. They're also teaching these guys how to make Molotov cocktails. So basically, we're, they're creating uh, a group of people, maybe as many as 20, 30,000 of them, to be like urban guerrillas. You know, over the years, we've seen fights where urban guerrillas have been involved. And you don't want to uh, discount them too much. I mean, these people will fight in unorthodox ways, and it will confuse professional military. If you don't believe me, just go back to the Revolutionary War. Remember what happened then? The British came over. They were well-trained and uh, well-drilled soldiers from uh, Britain. They came in, and they were going to take on this ragtag crowd of new Americans who wanted to separate from the king. Now, these people hadn't been in a country very long, so they certainly didn't have any war experience or soldiering experience. But they got their muskets, their guns, their rakes, whatever the fuck they got. And they took every advantage they could to beat uh, the redcoats, as it were. I mean, these guys were hanging in trees, burning buildings, carrying around rakes, setting up traps, doing everything that a trained army would not be familiar with. And uh, you know what? They beat him. They beat him. They had no business beating him. And if that's not enough of an example for you, let's go back to Vietnam. We've got the uh, U.S. military in there helping South Vietnam fight against North Vietnam. And again, we're dealing with uh, guerrilla warfare. I mean, they had tunnels. They had ditches. They had traps. They hid and they tricked U.S. soldiers, they weren't fighting like our our armed services were used to. Now I wouldn't say that they beat the Americans, but the Americans didn't win. They fought for year after year after year, losing American after American, killing Vietnamese after Vietnamese, and it went for like twelve years, thirteen years, something like that. And it got to the point where America said, "Fuck it, we're going to leave." Now you think about it. Is there any way possible America should lose or at least tie with Vietnam? Vietnam was a tiny tiny country. That should have been a walk in the park. Or how about when uh, Russia went in to invade Afghanistan? Same kind of thing. These guys weren't organized. They were just fighters. They were killers. Russia fought these clowns for 12 years. And you know what? They ended up having to leave. They didn't lose, but they didn't win. But by not winning, they in fact did lose because they lost tons of money. It put the country in disarray. And uh, um, what it did was uh, cost the Russians a lot of money. They had to pull out. They had other problems. And that's when the end of the Soviet Union happened. So for as much as it looks insurmountable for Ukraine, against Russia. It could be a very lengthy process. I mean, it could go on a while. And the longer it goes on, the worse it's going to be for Vladimir Putin and the Russians. Vladimir Putin's not making any friends back at home. His whole country is protesting against him and the war he started. 
So he's not in a good position back there. He's got the oligarchs, the people with all the big money that are his big friends. But now his money is getting, their money is getting frozen. And uh, I'm guessing the oligarchs are getting a little owly. And now we've got uh, Joe Biden, among other, other NATO European countries, putting sanctions directly on Vladimir Putin and uh, Sergei Larivov, who is the foreign minister, right on them directly. He's hitting them each in the pocketbook. Joe Biden's getting up in their shit. <laughs> so there's a lot of bad happening to uh, Vladimir Putin. We'll talk about that in a bit. In fact, we're about ready for a break. We'll take a quick one, and we'll be right back. Well, what we're finding out is that uh, Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump have a lot in common. Vladimir Putin is a narcissist, a sociopath. He's a psychopath. He's a pathological liar. And when you see people like this from a distance, they look all right. They might even look impressive. But what happens when you get closer, you see the cracks, you see the flaws, and you see who they truly are. They're mostly just insecure fucks. And they can't stand people questioning them. They live their lives on ego. And that's what they do. It comes into their head, it spews out of their mouth, and in their mind, because it came from them, the best person in the world, then it is the fucking gospel. It can't be wrong. You can't argue with them. The problem with that is when you don't consider yourself wrong when you may be wrong, well, then you're going to be wrong and you're going to be surprised by it and you're going to fuck up. If you can't critique yourself, then you're doomed for failure. And that's where Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump is. Now, Vlad Putin and the Russians are still marauding through Ukraine and into the capital city of Kiev. But things aren't really going that well for Vladimir Putin. Surprising. Vladimir Putin thought he would go into Ukraine, take it over quickly, and it'd be done. And he'd be a conquering hero, and he'd be able to gaslight his entire country to believe that he did the right thing, because that's how he's lived his life. That's how he spent 22 years as president of, of, of Russia. He tried to gaslight the people of his country by telling them that the Ukraine leaders were Nazis and that they were committing genocide against Russian, ethnic Russian and Russian-speaking people. Well, that's not true. And to suggest the president of uh, Ukraine is a Nazi makes no sense because, you see, Zelensky is half Russian or half uh, Jewish. So he's not a Nazi. There is no genocide going on, but see what I mean? He's trying to gaslight these people to give him permission to do what he's doing. What he's doing is all about ego. What he's doing is uh, pretty much illegal. And uh, he's a war criminal. And he will probably have to address that when this is all said and done. But here's the thing. He thinks he can gaslight the people back in his country, that they'll back him up because he's a strong, powerful guy. But what in fact happens is now he's got thousands of people protesting in cities all across the country of Russia. 
they're protesting against the war, and they're protesting against Vladimir Putin. And this is making Putin a little bit nervous. It's making him very nervous at this point. So uh, I'll explain to you why. We've been hearing a lot about the sanctions and such. And uh, the sanctions, people are saying, well, it's not going to stop the invasion. It's not going to stop Putin. No, it may not stop Putin. The sanctions themselves may not even impact Putin that much. But who it will impact are the citizens of his country in Russia. Who it will impact is the oligarchs that are getting their billions of dollars tied up. You see, these people are going to be upset, and they're going to blame it on Vladimir Putin because they know the whole story. So while the sanctions directly may not do anything to Vladimir Putin, Vladimir Putin's in a country that uh, is similar to many countries like them around the world that are kind of volatile. You get people who are presidents and leaders, and they're fawned over, and they're worshipped. But when shit goes bad, guess what? These leaders tend to disappear, get exiled, get killed, or they just disappear without anybody knowing. And that is Vladimir Putin's biggest fear. He's a tough guy. He controls a lot of things. But when everybody in his country is against him, and they can say that he's doing damage to the country and the people in the country, and he gets some kind of uprising, well, he's going to be in fucking trouble. He may not be long for his job. He may not be long for this world. So if you tell me again that the sanctions aren't going to stop Vladimir Putin, no, not directly. But the people that are affected by the sanctions have enough power and enough numbers to do something to Vladimir Putin. So be watching for that. Now, over and above that, Vladimir Putin decided he was going to go into Ukraine, and he figured this would be a fucking walk in the park. This is a small country. This is a peace-loving country. My big, powerful army will come in. We'll walk right over him, take control of it, and take it back. It'll be as easy as that. But as I was saying before, it's turning out not to be that easy. The Ukrainian people are wanting to fight back. They have 200,000 people in their armed services. They're handing out guns to anybody that's able on the streets to fight back. They've handed out 20,000 guns at this point. They're teaching them to make Molotov cocktails. So these people are going to fight. They may not ultimately win because uh, the Russian army may be overwhelming. But they are going to fight. I mean, Russia should have beat Afghanistan, but they never did. They ended up having to cut, cut uh, bait and leave because it took up too much time, too much money, and it uh, permanently damaged the Soviet Union when they were in the middle of it. So as Vladimir Putin comes into this situation, he's got that in the back of his mind, and the longer this fight goes, the worse it's going to be for him. Did you notice yesterday he went out and made a plea to the Ukraine military? He said, here's your one chance. Turn on the Ukraine government. Let's let's uh, overtake the government, and then you people will be safe, and you'll be able to work for us and fight for us. Some might think that's a clever idea, a strategy. Frankly, that sounds like desperation to me. 
he's getting pushback that he wasn't expecting. It's not going as fast and as quickly and as well as he had expected. So now he's in trouble. Every day this continues, he looks worse and worse. And then, as I said, the people back home are going to like this guy even less. He's getting Russian soldiers killed for no fucking reason. People are not going to take kindly to that, so he's in trouble. He wants the Ukraine army to turn on the Ukraine government and help him win. Well, they're not going to do that. And uh, Vladimir Putin appears to be in trouble. He seems to be nervous about that, and that's good news. Now, in addition to those things happening, we also had a situation where we knew that Russia and China were chatting behind closed doors and were thinking that China is going to help them out. And let's be honest, China is, is a more powerful country than Russia. Russia is a small economy. It's a shitty economy. And um, they aren't really anything without the nukes that they have. China is a much different situation. They got the nukes, too, and they have a good economy, comparatively. We know those two were talking, and I'm sure Vladimir Putin was saying, hey, if things go bad, you got to have our back, which would be weird because Russia and China aren't always that close of buddies. But the leader of China yesterday put out a tweet or whatever the fuck he did. His name is uh, Xi Jinping. Hung, uh, just just call him Xi, because he is the leader of China. And he tweeted something out, and he says, uh, look, uh, Vlad, you maybe probably should just go talk to Ukraine, which is basically telling him, yeah, stop the bullshit, work something out, and get this done. Because Xi from China knows this is going to fuck up the world economy, the energy supply, and all those sorts of things. And while China isn't involved in the war itself, they will feel the impact of it, and he's tired of hearing about it. So Vlad's daddy, Xi, from China, told him to, uh, yeah, back off a little bit and work this shit out. That's not going to bode well for Vladimir Putin. And then the last nail in the coffin yesterday was our president, Joe Biden. There's been all kinds of sanctions laid down, and we just talked about the sanctions. But for the first time, and the first time at this level anywhere, anytime, Joe Biden sanctioned Vladimir Putin and uh, Foreign Minister Sergei Lerov. These are the two main guys in Russian government. So basically, he sanctioned them personally, individually which means any money they have outside of Russia, say in the United States, in Europe, wherever, that shit is now frozen. He does not have access to it. He is limited what he can do outside Russia because nobody in Europe, nobody in America wants to fucking deal with him. He will be limited from doing that. And make no mistake, that's a pretty steep punishment. That's going to stifle him and his country with all these sanctions, and that's going to cause problems. It may not be like dropping a bomb on Moscow, but uh, over time, it is going to be very debilitating to Russia. And as I've said, Russia also already has a kind of tenuous economy. It's not going to be hard to tear that down and fuck things up. 
And now Vladimir Putin has to look at the future of his country, if he even has a future with the country. But uh, a year from now, two years from now, this country, Russia, may be fucking destitute, may be destroyed. And then what is Vladimir Putin going to do? I'm thinking Vladimir Putin's going to be get his ass kicked out of there well before then. But we will see what happens. So it wasn't a good day for Vlad Putin. You know, he thought, oh, we'll go get into Ukraine, take it over. It'll be fun. It'll be great. I'll look cool doing it. Well, that's not quite how it's working out. He's looking real bad. Two-thirds of the world that are in NATO don't like this motherfucker. They're worried about this motherfucker. Now, Finland, which is near Russia, is seeing all this shit go on. And they're not in NATO, but they're saying... You know, maybe we should join NATO. Well, that fucking freaked of Vladimir Putin out. He doesn't want that. The more people in NATO, the more the weaker he is. And he looked at Finland and he says, "If you join NATO, we're this could cause some military action towards you." Oh, really, Vlad? You haven't made enough bad I had enough bad ideas lately. You want to attack Finland? I don't think you fucking do. I don't think you do. And if they want to be in NATO, they'll be in NATO. And then you'll be fucked. I just want to reiterate what NATO means. I don't know that everybody understands it. I don't know that I understand it till recently. Basically, it's a um, defense pact. You've got 30-some countries that are all tied to NATO. And what that means is if any country attacks any NATO country, then all the NATO countries fight back. So whoever attacks a uh, NATO country, they're going to have to deal with 30 countries to fight. The whole point of it is to dissuade people from attacking other countries. That's the whole reason why these countries join NATO. Now, if uh, Vladimir Putin goes into Ukraine and decides to go the next country over, well, all the countries that surround Ukraine are NATO then we're in a dramatically different situation. The prospect of a third world war, well, that's possible. Because while Joe Biden and some of the um, European countries can't go into Ukraine and help them out and help them fight because they're not a NATO country, when they do hit a NATO country, if they do hit a NATO country, meaning Russia, then everybody's, the shit is going to fly. 30 nations are going to go there to protect this country and then Russia has a serious problem. They keep wanting to remind us that they've got nuclear weapons because that's really all they got. Everything else they have is shit. But that is a formidable situation when they have the nuclear weapons. But Vlad has to understand he's not the only one with nuclear fucking weapons. We got them too. In fact, we got more than he does. But everybody knows a nuclear war, nobody wins Everybody loses. So Vladimir Putin doesn't want a nuclear war any more than Joe Biden does. I don't know if we'll ever see that happen. If it does, it'll be accidental or it'll be two crazy guys going at each other and nobody in the middle that can stop them. So uh, we'll see about that. But Vladimir Putin is having a bad, bad week. His choice to go into Ukraine is quickly starting to look ill-advised. 
it'll be interesting to see if he tries to back out of it or if he continues to keep going forward. And if he continues to keep going forward, it's going to be interesting to see his standing in the world. He won't have any. It's going to be interesting to see what the people in his own country do to take care of him. He's going to be in trouble. And Vladimir Putin may not be a leader in Russia for all that much longer. Oh, we had this other situation. President Biden has announced his nomination for Supreme Court Justice. She is Katenga Brown Jackson. Now, in my opinion, probably the best choice to fill the job. This was probably the best choice for the Biden administration to choose to fill the Supreme Court Justice vacancy. Now, here's why. First of all, this woman is brilliant. She's talented. She has integrity. Nobody could be more qualified than her. In fact, she was a um, uh, she worked for uh, Judge Bremer, the man that she'd be replacing. She was a clerk for him for a number of years. So she knows the situation. She knows the former justice. She is a great choice for it. But there's another part of this that makes her a better choice than most other people. You see, she currently sits on the D.C. Appellate Court, and she was recently appointed. For that job, she was nominated by Joe Biden, just like she is now for the Supreme Court. She had hearings with the U.S. Senate, the current U.S. Senate. She was approved by the U.S. Senate. Same Senate we're looking at now. So now, if she comes up for the Supreme Court, and they've already approved her for a job, they've already looked into her, they've already checked her background and tried to find all the dirt or whatever they think they're going to find, they aren't going to find it with this woman. She has a lot of integrity. She has a lot of credibility. She's perfect for this job. And the Senate has already approved her. So now, if we go to these hearings for the Supreme Court, and we need to get a vote. Now, keep in mind, when with a vote like this, we only need a simple majority, 51 votes. The uh, filibuster doesn't come into play. Now, when she went to the D.C. court, the appellate court, she did get three Republicans to vote for her, in addition to all 50 Democratic votes. And that means Cinema and Manchin, too. So there should be nothing different. Because this all happened less than a year ago. So less than a year later, she has to go through the process again, go to the hearing, get votes, get the approval. She needs 51 votes, which could be all Democratic votes and uh, Kamala Harris. Or if she gets some Republican votes like she did last time. But if they go up for a vote to approve this woman, uh, Judge Jackson, and they block her. Well, they got some explaining to do. Because as I said, as short a time as a year ago, they already approved her. They checked her out. They did fucking everything they had to do. And now if they try to block it, clearly it's a racist thing or a partisan thing. And this partisanism should not show up in the approval of a uh, Supreme Court justice. Now, you'll get the Republicans wanting conservatives and the Democrats wanting liberals, 
But when a liberal or a Democrat is in office, they are going to appoint Democratic or liberal justices. The Republicans know this and vice versa. All they can hope for is to get a good one, even though it's not sympathetic to their party. And this one is a good one. Clearly, they cleared her earlier in the year. But it's going to be interesting to see how much politics comes into play if they try to dick around with this. For all intents and purposes, Cinema and Mansion, who could be the thorn in our side, should go along like they did less than a year ago. If they don't, we can see that there's a problem. Not with this not with this candidate, but with those fucking people. How can you vote to approve her less than a year ago and now say no? Now, the Republicans, we don't even have to expect any Republican to vote for. But we had three for the CD appellate court or the D.C. appellate court. So they should, for all intents and purposes, vote for her, which would make it a 53 to 47 vote, which would be more than enough. So I'm going to be very interested to see how this shakes out. It should be pretty quick. It should be pretty easy. It should go just like the last time, less than a year ago, with the D.C. appellate court. It should be exactly the same because nothing has changed. But if it's not, we need to look at this because something is fishy with that. Why would you approve her a year ago and not now? Again, if they were to do that, it's mostly politics or racism or something like that. But there should be no reason to approve her as a Supreme Court justice. And, and, and my point of this is, is while she's very well qualified, she's as qualified as anybody to be a Supreme Court justice with her background, with her experience and who she is. But when Joe Biden was trying to decide who he was going to nominate, he had like three candidates. They were all good candidates. You have to believe the fact that she already went through this approval process once, actually twice, I think she did. Um, she made made her a stronger choice because she's a more known quantity. There's going to be no crazy shit that crops up or comes out of a closet someplace the skeletons in the closet. We all have them, of course. But she's already been through that. She's already cleared that. So she was the strongest choice for Joe Biden in this particular situation. So now we'll see how that works out, if it works out the way it's supposed to. Now, after the U.S. and the NATO countries laid down their sanctions against Russia, there have been some reactions, some people concerned. The people of uh, Russia are concerned. The oligarchs are a little pissed off. Vladimir Putin hasn't said anything. <laughs> but there's one person that got a little fired up, was a little heated up about these sanctions. The name is Dmitry Rogozin. He is the chief of the Russian Space Corporation. He was apparently mad about these sanctions. He did not like them a bit. And just like Donald Trump or Vladimir Putin, he came back with a threat. What's the space guy going to threaten? <laughs> well, you see, Russia is pretty much running the space um, 
station in the sky that's been up there for many years. We've had Americans, we've had Russians, we've had other countries, Chinese, up there. The space station, it's been going on for a long time. And this Dmitry Rogozin was steamed about the fact that these sanctions were put in place. And he said, if you keep those sanctions in place, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop maintaining the space station and crash that fucker into the United States of America. So you're telling me you stop maintaining it and you can aim it at the United States of America. Or you're going to take something that's 500 tons or whatever and all that money and all that time in it because just because you're butt hurt, you're going to crash it into the United States? Or better yet, you're going to tell me you have enough power and control to make that call. I don't think so. I think Vlad Putin might have something to say about that, and he may not like that idea. Because if that was done and it was intentional, that's on our sovereign ground. If you could actually make that happen and do it purposely, that would be an attack by Russia on America, and that would require a retaliation. And now you're starting a war, maybe World War III. Dimitri, you really want to say that? Is it even fucking possible? Or is it just some childish bullshit you pulled out of your ass because you're angry and butthurt? I think the latter is true. <laughs> I read this stuff, and I just have to laugh. This is the kind of thing you would get out of Donald Trump's mouth or the Republican's mouth or Vladimir Putin's mouth. I'm mad, so I'm going to scare you. (laughs) You're going to crash the International Space Station in America or maybe Europe because Europe's being mean to us, too. (laughs) If that doesn't smell of desperation, I don't know what the fuck is, but bullies will always be bullies. They're great at making threats, but they're not very good in backing up those threats. And as long as they run into people that buy into the bullying and fold up and die, they're good. They're successful. But the first motherfucker that stands up and says, shut the fuck up and smacks them in the snout, they got problems because then they back down and they run. So for all intents and purposes, the sanctions aren't going to come off for a long, long time. And am I worried about the International Space Station crashing into the United States? No, that's not going to happen. That's fucking ignorant. That's stupid. That makes no sense. It makes this man look like an idiot. And are you telling me? Are you telling me you've got an idiot running your space program? Well, it is Russia. I guess that makes some sense. All right, let's wrap up uh, the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for spending the time you do with me. If you have questions, comments, or ideas for a hashtag to stick the Republicans with a connection with Putin, send me an email at rationalboomer at gmail.com. You can leave me a voicemail by going to anchor.fm, find the Rational Boomer podcast, and just leave a voicemail. So you have a great day. Let's hope things and people keep safe. And I will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.